hotter it gets. It's just fresh and new every day. And so I'm thankful for that. The reason that is, is because it is the living Word of God. It is, it has the power of God in it. Amen. And uh, so I thank God for that. We're going to be in the book of 1 Kings and the book of 2 Kings tonight. And no, I'm not preaching both books. Amen. I'm just preaching out of both books. So I'll do my best to uh, be mindful of the time. I know you've labored throughout the day. Most of you have. And uh, I appreciate your faithfulness to be here tonight. Uh, I've tried to, through the years of my preaching, I've tried to remember something that an old preacher told me years and years ago. And that is that the mind cannot absorb any man any more than the hind end can endure. Amen. And that is the truth. And so uh, I'll try not to, uh, to labor your patience tonight. And I trust that God uh, will help us tonight. 1 Kings chapter number 19. And then find your place there. And then we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter number 2. And uh, that's where I want to preach from tonight. But I'm going to use 1 Kings. 19 as a uh, as a reference tonight. Second Kings chapter number two. The Bible said, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, "My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof." And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? When he had also smitten the waters, they pottered hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Father, as we come before your throne tonight, I need you. And Father, I ask that you would help me. Father, I need you. I need, I want to, Father, desire you more than to desire anything else. God, I pray you'd help us to preach the word of God as it is to men as they are tonight. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' wonderful name, we humbly ask it all. Amen and amen. I want to preach, if God will help me, out of this text. And the Bible said that when uh, Elijah had been taken up, that Elisha picked up the mantle and went back by, and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And I want to preach tonight, and I'm going to get, have to go back and give you a little bit of background and lay a foundation for what I want to say tonight. What I want to say is very simple and it won't be anything very profound, I guess is what I'm trying to say, other than it's profound in that it is the Word of God. But I've got to labor for a little while to get to where I want to be so that I can share one simple thought with you tonight. And I believe if you will take hold of what I say tonight, that it will change your life forever. When I got a hold of this truth out of the Word of God, the Word of God... When I got a hold of this truth out of the Word of God, God began to do a tremendous work in my heart. And I trust that God will do that for you tonight. Now, here in this text, in 2 Kings chapter number 2, we have the story of Elijah being caught up in a chariot of fire and horses of fire. And Elijah and Elisha go across the river Jordan and they come to the other side just a little piece over. The Bible said that there was a fiery chariot parted them asunder, Elisha and Elijah. And the 
Bible said that Elisha saw Elijah go up and he said, my father, my father, my, the horsemen of Israel and the chariots thereof. He said, he, in other words, what he's saying is you've departed, you've left me and I don't know what I'm going to do. This is the greatest loss of my life. But then there is another problem. He's just seen the fire of God take the man of God away from him. And he's got another problem. It's the river Jordan is in front of him. And so I want to preach tonight, if God will help me, for just a few moments on somewhere between the fire and the water. Somewhere between the fire and the water. I want to look at this man by the name of Elisha. I want to notice how that God used him. And if you're here tonight and if you want to be used by God, can I say to you that if you're saved by the grace of God, that God wants to use you. God wants to use you. God didn't save you for what you could do for him. God saved you because he loved you. God died for you because he loved you. God wants you. God don't want what you can do for him. God's not expecting any great feats from you at all. What God expects from you is for you to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. And that's what God expects. He expects you to be faithful in doing that. But having said that, I believe, Brother Smith, that tonight, sitting in this building, there are folk who want to be used by God. And I'm gonna show you tonight how that you can be used by God. I wanna look at Elisha, and I'm gonna look at him in three different aspects of his life. We're gonna look at Elisha as the man. And then we're gonna look at Elisha as the servant. And then we're gonna look at Elisha as the prophet. There are three stages of his life that he goes through and all of them have lessons that we can learn from. So in here in 1 Kings chapter number 19, we're gonna go back over one book, just a few pages. But over here in 1 Kings chapter number 19, the Bible is, I'm just gonna give you a recap of the story up until verse number 19 in chapter 19. Up until this point, the man Elijah, the prophet of God, the, the greatest, up until this point, one of the greatest prophets Israel would ever know. Now, Elijah is not considered by the Jewish people, uh, he is not considered to be the greatest prophet in the nation of Israel, believe it or not. The greatest prophet in the nation of Israel considered by the Jews and by Bible scholars in the history of the nation of Israel was Moses. He was the greatest prophet. Of all the prophets in the Bible, all the major prophets and all the minor prophets that you find listed in your Bible, uh, that includes Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all of those prophets combined, Elijah and Elisha, every one of them, Moses done twice as many miracles as all of them combined. That's the reason that when Jesus came, they were comparing him to Moses, I mean to Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah, but they did not compare him to Moses. You know why? Because they knew that the one that would come that would be their Messiah would be greater than Moses and those Jews at that day did not want anybody to take them out of their place or disrupt their religious activities that were going on. So uh, Moses was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament by, and I simply mean that by the number of miracles that he done. But there is no doubt that Elijah and Elisha were great men of God. 
Now, the Bible lets us know here in this text, in chapter number 19, uh, that Ahab went back and told Jezebel and said to Jezebel what Elijah had done on Mount Carmel. Elijah's up there, he's got 400 prophets of the grove, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the grove, and uh, they build an altar, they put the sacrifice on it, they dump water all over it, fill up the trench, cover the altar, and God called, and Elijah calls fire down out of heaven, and God licks that entire thing up, rocks, altar, water, sacrifice, all of it. And the people, the nation of Israel, in one moment, Fickle as they may have been, turned to God. And you know what they've done? He said, they said, what do we do? He said, you gather up all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of the grove and we're gonna kill them. Uh, Brother Lester Roloff said that was a non-profit organization, amen. <laughs> they've done away with all the prophets. And so uh, Elijah, under the anointing of God, runs before the chariot of Ahab back down to Jezreel. And he's expecting a great move of God in the nation of Israel and even, I think, expected that Jezebel would even be converted. But when he got there, Jezebel found out what had happened and she said, let God do to me what he done to them, what Elijah done to them prophets if his life is not exactly like their life by this time tomorrow. You know what Elijah done? He got scared. He just, he just defeated the prophets of Baal and one woman put him on the run. Amen. And so that woman put him on the run and we find him in a cave. It's where we find him at in chapter number 19. And in that cave, Elijah hears a great earthquake, but it was not the Lord. And he hears a great wind and fire, but it wasn't the Lord. But then he hears a still, small voice and Elijah wrapped his mantle around him and he said, what doest thou here, Elijah? He said, and I'm just paraphrasing, he said, Lord, I've been very zealous for you, but I'm the only one left. There ain't nobody else serving you. Well, he just had a whole bunch of people helping kill all the prophets of Baal, so he's forgot his memory. He's got short-term memory loss, apparently, and he's not remembering what has happened already in this text. But then God comes to Elijah. He said, it's like he ignores him. He, Elijah's complaining to him. It's almost like God ignores what he says. He said, now listen to me, Elijah. He said, this is what you're gonna do. He said, he said you're gonna go and you're gonna anoint, uh, you're gonna <coughs> anoint Hazel to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshad, uh, shalt thou not to be king over Israel and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shalt thou not to be a prophet in thy room. He said, by the way, Elijah, I've got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal nor kissed him. Now, that bowing the knee to Baal means that those people publicly had not bowed to Baal, but the fact that they had not kissed him, that is a reference to their private worship, and they had not done it privately. There were those who had not bowed down to Baal publicly, they had not bowed to him out in public, but they had made peace with the reigning authority in that land. Jezebel was saying, we will not do it publicly, but privately we'll kiss the statue. And so they, he said, I've got folk that have not bowed publicly or privately to Baal. He said, I've got 7,000 that have not bowed to Baal. And he said, by the way, Elijah, I've got something for you to do. You're gonna anoint two kings and one prophet. 
And so Elijah does exactly what God told him to do. And so in verse number 19, he departed thence and found Elijah, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again, for what have I done unto thee? He returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and bore their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So here we see the first picture of this man by the name of Elisha. Elisha as a man. What kind of man, what kind of individual, and when I say man, I mean an individual, what kind of person will God use to do his work? All right, verse number 16, we find out that he, uh, in verse number 16, was a, a legitimate man. In other words, he was a man or an individual that had been called by God for a specific purpose. In this text, God had already told Elijah what he wanted done, and Elisha wasn't even aware of it. But Elisha, even though Elisha was not aware of it at this point, Elisha was still legitimate in his call because he had been called by God. I remember a man years ago preaching a message entitled Running Unsent, dealing with the call to preach and the call to the gospel ministry. And I will say to you today that that is still a legitimate call. It is a call that God puts on a man. A man does not take uh, that office upon him lightly. He don't do it for his own benefit. He's not doing it because mama told him to or daddy told him to or grandpa wanted him to. He's doing it because God called him to do it. I want to say to you today, no matter what that is in your life, there has to be a call from God to do it. Yes. God has to be bringing you out and pointing you out individually to do what it is He's got for you to do. So I want to say to you that he was an appointed man. He was a man that was legitimate. In verse number 19, we see he was a man of labor. And I want to say this to you, and I get, I get in trouble most of the time when I get on this point because I can't get off of it, but I'm going to try to just pass by it tonight because there's one place I want to get to. But I'll tell you something, God never has called a lazy person. Amen. Every person God ever called were individuals who were laborers. And he was a legitimate man, a man of legitimacy, but he was also a man of labor. I think of Brother Jimmy Moyes down in Burns, that was down in Burns, Tennessee. And how that he labored down there for all those years, 15 years, had a handful of people. And I mean labored, knocking doors, trying to tell people about the Lord, preaching faithfully three times a week and trying to get the gospel out. We held tent meetings for him and tried to help him get the gospel out. And he was a man, he wasn't a lazy man, he was a man of labor. Amen. And we have lost that in our day. Amen. Amen. We, we've, we've raised a generation, Brother John, that don't know how to work. Right, right. Amen. Amen. And listen to me, a man can make a living doing a whole lot. It ain't, he ain't got to be a rocket scientist to make a good living for his family. I'll tell you something, the day and hour in which we live, a man knows how to lay brick and block, if he knows how to lay floor and how to build a house, how to roof a house, he can make a good living in our day and about name his price for doing it. You know why? You can't find many folks willing to work to make money anymore. 
Amen. Ain't nothing wrong. Hey, you got an office job and you're able to sit behind the desk and make good money. I know there's mental labor in that. I understand that. And thank God you've got that. But not everybody's got that. And just because they don't, don't make them any lower on the totem pole than somebody else. Amen. Amen. I've labored. I've labored in different areas to make a living for my family. I remember one time years and years ago, me and my wife was young, and uh, I wasn't even saved by the grace of God at that time. And I needed a job and couldn't find a job that was hard to find. And I was doing everything I could find to make a living. I found a man who would pay me 10 cents a brick to clean brick that he'd tore out of a building. 10 cents a brick. And I labored for three days, 10 hours a day, cleaning all them brick to make enough money to pay the bills. What are you saying, Brother David? I'm saying that God will use men, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, he will use men and women who are willing to labor in their life, amen. He ain't gonna use lazy people. I don't like lazy people, amen. I told that boy that's courting my daughter, amen, he called me, and I, said, I asked him, I said, are you saved? He said, yes. I said, do you love the Lord? Yes. I said, are you lazy? No, sir, I don't reckon I'm lazy. I said, I can't stand lazy. I said, you got any money in the bank? Well, he, he lives at home, works full-time job, 28 years old, and he ain't got no bills except the car. Surely he's got a little bit of money in the bank. Yes, sir, I got some money in the bank. I didn't ask him how much. Amen, they wasn't the same amount he had to have, but he ought to have some. Amen, if he can't handle his own finances, how's he gonna handle them when he marries my daughter? Amen. You say, well, I wouldn't have done that. That's the reason I'm her daddy and you're not. Amen. <laughs> but he was a man of labor. The Bible said he was plowing when Elijah found him. I like this. Amen. I like it. He was plowing. And he had 12 yoke of oxen he was plowing with. Now, a yoke of oxen is two, is two oxen. Normally, that's what a yoke of oxen is. You've got two in the yoke. And they're pulling. And he's got 12 yoke because he's wearing one out and going to the next one, wearing one out and going to the next one, wearing one out and going to the next one. And he's went through a dozen yoke of oxen. And he gets down that last yoke of oxen and they're not plowing hard enough for him. You know what he done? He got in the yoke with them. And he with the twelfth. He was in the yoke pulling with them, Brother John, right up the parole, amen. And he was plowing with them oxen. He said, they're not working hard enough. We're not going to get this done, amen. Ain't enough daylight to get everything done. I need to get done today. I'm going to have to jump in there with the oxen and help them. He was a man of labor. Verse number 20, he was a man of love. Elisha's love was right. I want to tell you who God will use. People that love right. He said, can I go kiss my mom and daddy before I leave? Can I go kiss them goodbye before I leave? Elijah said, well, what have I done to them? You know why God will use people that love right? Because if God is going to give them unlimited access to him and to his power, if their love was not right, they will be harsh and will not be able to understand where people are at and have compassion on them. I've seen many men in the pulpit, Brother Smith, that pastored churches and they were very, very, and I, ain't, I mean my pastor's hard, but he's compassionate. But I've seen men who had who were very hard, but they had no compassion. You know why? They'd never had to sit on a pew and let somebody burn their hide before. And that's a preacher's job sometimes. He's got to burn your hide because we need it. But I'll tell you something. 
A man who's never had to sit there and take that don't know how to handle people when they need it done and he'll be too hard on them. I've seen that time after time, Brother Jason. So you better thank God you got a man that's got some compassion, amen, about you so that he knows when you need to be dealt with, but he's got compassion when he deals with you. He does it out of love. He does it because he wants to see you live for God, amen. He was a man of love. His love was right in verse number 20. He wanted to say goodbye to his parents. Not only that, verse number 21, he was a man of loyalty. The Bible said he slew a yoke of oxen and the instruments thereof. You know who he was loyal to? God. He said, listen, God, you've called me to be a prophet. I'm going to be a prophet. That old life is done. I'm not going to need them oxen anymore. I don't need the oxen doing what I'm doing anymore. I understand we all have to work jobs. I understand that. I understand how the ministry is. But I'm going to tell you something. Somebody said, well, are you full time? I said, I've been full time for 24 years. Amen. God called me. He didn't call me to part time preaching. Amen. I'm a preacher all the time. Amen. I may be out working on a job, but if I'm out laying carpet on a hardwood floor, putting siding on a house, putting shingles on a roof, whatever it is I'm doing, I'm still a man of God. Amen. I'm still serving the Lord. And what we ought to do is cut the ties to this world, amen, and say, God, whatever you want, that's what I'll do, amen. And I'll serve you lock, stock, and barrel, and I ain't going back, amen. And I may have to do something to make a living for my family, but all that will be secondary to the ministry. That ain't just for preachers, that's for everybody. Praise God, amen. He was a man of loyalty, he was loyal to God. He said, God, I'm yours. I'm all yours. But not only to, was he loyal to God, but he was loyal to God's man. Second Kings chapter number three and verse number 11, when I turned there, they were looking for a prophet and he said, they said, well, here's Elisha, the son of Shaphat, the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Even after Elijah was dead, you know what Elisha was known for? His service to Elijah. Do not think you're gonna serve God and not serve people. If any would be great among you, let him first be a servant. We have the idea, listen to me, we got the idea in our day that the church and God owes us something. And he don't and they don't owe us a thing. We owe God everything. We owe God all of it. He deserves our all, all of our life, all of our standards, all of our living, all of our language, all of our love, everything. God deserves it all tonight because he gave his all for us. When he sent Jesus to die on the cross, amen, he sent him down and birthed him into a holy manger, lived 33 and a half years, marched up the Via Dolorosa to Calvary and died. He didn't give us the best heaven had. He gave us all heaven had. When Christ left, there was nothing left to give. All of the glory, all of the laughter, all of the love, all of the joy, all of the peace, all of the long suffering. Every bit of it was wrapped up in that little old baby laid in a manger, amen, in Bethlehem. He gave us all. Elisha was known as a man who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Notice Elisha the servant. 
as a servant, Elisha was concerned about three things. First Kings chapter number 19, he went to Elijah. Elijah threw the mantle on him. Elisha went to him and said, would you please let me go kiss my father and mother before I come follow you? He was concerned about the mission. We ought to be concerned about our mission for God. What's God got for you to do? What's He designed you specifically to do for Him? You better be about that. Whatever the Father's work is for you, you better be about that work. Now I want to tell you, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you young ladies something tonight. I thank God, I thank God that you're hard workers. I thank God that you've done you've been successful. And I hope you are successful. But I'll tell you something. God's designed for you. If you're to be married, and you like Randy, so I don't know, that's a big if. Amen. <laughs> Randy goes to my church, amen. I know him well. But I'll tell you something. He don't he don't need a he don't need a career woman. He needs a wife and a mother for his children. Nothing wrong with, they're they're not married. They have no house of their own. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'll tell you something, when you get married, your responsibility is to that home. You are to guide that home. You are to direct that home. Somebody said, well, I'm the man of the house. She may be, but she's the neck that turns the head. Amen. (laughs) That's the truth. You, she is to guide that home and there's nothing wrong with it but you better be listen be concerned about what God has designed for you to do what he's to put you in this world for brother Jason if he's put you in this world to manage your roots and to make a living for your family you better be diligent to do that for the glory of God but he was concerned about the mission 1 Kings chapter number 19 2 Kings chapter number 2 verses 1 through 8 he was concerned about the man Elijah he followed him faithfully. I'll say this today, especially to the men of this church, the man of this church. There ain't but one here tonight. Amen. There's more than one that comes here, but the only one's here tonight that's actually a member here. But I'll tell you something. Loyalty to the house of God is, is swiftly being lost. We have folk, they get mad over the stupidest things. Well, I don't like the color toilet paper they put in the bathroom, so I'm going somewhere else. Well, I'd hate to know, unto God, I'd hate to know that I got to the judgment seat and God would look at me and say, I gave my all for you, I went to Calvary for you, I died for you, and you left the house of God because you didn't like the color of the toilet paper? I mean, that's going to be a sad day. But, but not only loyalty to the house of God, loyalty to the man of God. I understand a man of God gets in sin, gets in error, all that kind of stuff. But if you got a man of God, amen, and you do here, you got a man of God that loves you, that labors for you, and that lives right, you ought to back him. You ought to take good care of him. You ought to want to do more than you can do. For. And I know a lot, a lot of folk, especially down south where I'm from. Originally, I live in Kentucky now, but when I down Georgia where I'm from, they didn't. They, they, their their prayer was, "Lord, you keep him fed, we'll keep him humble." That's the way they talked about the man of God. But the Bible still said, "You're not to muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is still worthy of his hire, and those that serve diligently are worthy of double honor." 
I still believe that. <coughs> Our church, we have a one of the best churches. I, I think it is the best church in America. You ought to feel that way about yours. Amen? Amen. If you don't, you ought to go somewhere where you can't think that. <laughs> Amen. But we have one of the greatest churches, if not, I think, the greatest church in America. And we've always, for that man of God and his family, we've always done more than what we could do. I've seen us give him raises, Brother Jason, that the church couldn't afford to give him and him take the money. Let us give it to him and him take the money and put it right back in and add another 10 or 20% to it that he puts in. Now, he's got a nice home, nice vehicles, everything else, and people gripe about that. People around the community gripe about it, but they ain't seen what he sacrificed in order to give to the church. And God just blesses him. He don't give to get. He said, I don't care if I lived in a cardboard box. I'd still be happy serving Jesus. Amen. 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 Yes, sir. You ought to be faithful. You ought to be concerned about the man. But I'll tell you something else. That Kings chapter number 2, verses 11 through 13. I want you to turn over there because I want us to read that. Second Kings chapter number 2. The Bible said, Elijah said to him, in verse number 9, they were going over to Elijah, said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. You know what Elisha was concerned about? He was concerned about the mantle. When I first got saved by the grace of God and saved out of a rough life, when I first got saved and God called me to preach, I heard people say, you, you, Brother David, you need to spend time with God and you need to seek the power of God that He would give you His power. Well, that sounded good. I said, well, Lord, if that's what you want me to have, that's what I want. And that's what Elisha was concerned with. He said, Elijah, I'll tell you what I want. I want a double portion of everything you've got. And Elijah said, that has asked a hard thing. He said, if you see me when I'm taken up, he said, it'll be done for you. But if not, it's not going to be done for you. So they come to, they come to Jericho. Elijah said, Terry, here, Elijah. He said, there's nothing going to part me. They start to cross the river. He said, there's nothing going to part me but death. I'm not turn away from you, Elijah. He got across that Jordan River. And he's no longer Elisha the man or Elisha the servant. But now he's Elisha the prophet. Elisha as the prophet saw three things tonight. Number one, he saw the fire. Now fire a lot of times represents the spirit the spirit and the power of God in your Bible, but not in this text. Fire also represents judgment and loss. And in this text, that's what it represents. At this point in his life, Elijah and Elisha and the nation of Israel have just suffered the greatest loss in losing this man by the name of Elijah that they could have ever suffered or experienced 
He lost, they lost the great man of God. They lost what they thought was the power of God. Not only did Elisha see the fire, but Elisha saw the water. The water represented in this text, many times the water represents, the running water represents the Spirit of God. Many times still water represents the Word of God. But in this text, it does not represent either one. In this text, it represents an obstacle to the will of God. The will of God for Elisha is to be the prophet of the nation of Israel. And in order to be their prophet, he's got to get back across that water. And this is, and listen, this is what is on Elisha's mind. I, I've lost a man. The man's gone. And the mission is impossible for me to do. It's across the water. I can't get to it. And I'm unable to accomplish what God's given me to do. And I've got the mantle. But somewhere between the fiery chariot and the water of the river Jordan, he got her figured out. And when he walked back up to that river, Brother Jason, he didn't say, where's the mantle of Elijah? Where's the portion of Elijah? Where's the man Elijah? Where is the power of Elijah? That's not what he said. When he got back to the water, this is what he said. Where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? God of Elijah. Where's the Lord? That was what was missing. That's what he needed. He didn't need his power. He didn't need the mantle. He didn't need the man. He needed the Lord. And he figured it out between the greatest loss of his life and the greatest obstacle of his life. He figured it out. It's the Lord I need. He took that mantle and said, where is the Lord? God of Elijah. We say it too fast. We always say, where's the Lord God of Elijah? That ain't what he said. He said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? He said, that's what I need. Somewhere between the fire and the water, Brother John, he got it figured out. Yes. Yes. You don't need favor. You don't need favor with, with the state and the county and the inspectors. That ain't what you need. You don't need more money in your bank account to finish the building. You've seen the fire of God. You've seen, you've seen and suffered. Are you listening to me? As a church, as people of the house of God, you've suffered loss. And now you're standing at the river Jordan and there's a great obstacle between you and the will of God for this life, for your life, and for this ministry. And God will let you stay right there. Until you figure out it ain't power, it ain't money, it ain't favor. He wants you to want him. And if you want him, he'll give you anything you want. If you want him above everything else, he can give you anything you want. You know why? Because you'll only want right things. If you want him, you'll just want right things. That's all you'll want. And if you want to cross the river to do the will of God for your life, if you want to do the cross the river, Miss Lucy, do the will of God for your life and for the life of this church, you know what you're going to have to find out? It ain't his power you ought to seek. It ain't his blessings you ought to seek. It ain't his touch you seek. It's him. You look for him. You go after God. Amen. And if you go after God, 
when you get the mail in your hand and you hit the water, she'll part, amen. Hey, listen, it didn't do like, hey, when he, when he, got, when he got God in the right place and got the Lord on the throne where he's supposed to be, he hit the water, amen. And the water didn't do like it did in the River Jordan. When the children of Israel went into Canaan, the Bible said it backed up and ran down. That ain't what it done. The Bible said it parted hither and thither. That means it sucked her up, but it whoo, must north and south. It went both ways. One, one just as fast as the other. Hey. Hey. He walked her back across that river and 50 sons of the prophet came out and said, maybe the Spirit of God just took him up and dropped him off. They were talking about Elijah. Just dropped him off somewhere else. 